0: Chapter 8 of The Romance of Plant Life This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Plant Life by George Francis Scott Elliot. Chapter 8. Scrub Famous Countries Which Were Covered by It Trees which are colonizing the desert. Acacia scrub in East Africa, game and lions. Battle between acacia and camels, etc. Australian half-deserts. Explorer's fate. Queen Hatasu and the first geographical expedition recorded. Frankincense, myrrh, gums, and odorous resins. Manna. Ladinum burning bush olives oranges and perfume farms story of roses bulgarian attar of roses how pomade is made cutting down of forests and mohammed a scrub or half desert does not seem at first sight to be in the least interesting but if one remembers such places as cordoba seville florence Genoa, Sicily, Athens, Constantinople, the great cities of Ephesus, Corinth, etc., of St. Paul's epistles, Persia, Arabia, Palestine, and Carthage, surely the countries which have had such splendid histories deserve a chapter to themselves. What achievements in war, in art, in literature, and in romance are connected with these lands bordering the Mediterranean, or fringing the great deserts of Sahara and Central Asia. The animals which belong to such country are also interesting. It is the home of the camel, ass, horse, donkey, not to speak of the giraffe, rhinoceros, gazelle, antelope, zebra, lion, and hyena. The plants are full of interest, too, and some of them are of great importance to man. The olive, orange. Fig, roses, and many perfumes and spice trees are natives of scrub. In fact, it is the real center of all gums, frankincenses, and mirrors. As man depends upon plants and animals, and as animals also are dependent on the plant world, it is the climate which really is responsible for everything. The world of plants is entirely and exactly regulated by the character of the climate, what then is the climate of scrub those countries enjoy brilliant sunshine cloudless skies and yet there is sufficient rain to permit of irrigation and to prevent the unmitigated desolation of the desert when as has happened in many of these famous lands the forests have been cut down and the aqueducts have been neglected they become arid dry and almost useless but when carefully and industriously worked as they were in the days of greece carthage and rome they produce results which will forever live in the history of the world the meaning of such half desert climates and of the scrub which covers them has been already suggested the scrub is trying to occupy the desert if one takes the stern wheel steamer at the first cataract of the nile and passes southwards the desolation of black rock and honey-coloured sand of the Libyan desert is at first unbroken. But here and there, the thorny trees of the Seyal acacia show the beginnings of a scrub region. Much further to the south, those acacias and others become great forests which extend all along the south of the Sahara desert and furnish the valuable gums of the Sudan. If one passes southward through this forest of acacias, it alters in character. The trees become taller, closer together, and climbing plants and undergrowth become more frequent. Still further south, one finds the regular tropical forest, which is characteristic of the tropics everywhere. The most interesting part, which is also the richest in big game, is the intermediate zone between the desert and the acacia forest or scrub. All sorts of transitions are found. Sometimes there are thickets of thorny bushes. Occasionally scattered clumps of woodland alternate with stretches of grass or what looks like grass. Near the desert one finds pioneer acacias dotted singly here and there. These are the scouts or skirmishers of the army of trees which is trying to occupy and colonize the desert. This explains why this sort of scrub occurs in so many parts of the world. On the European side of the Mediterranean, the dry climate of Spain, the Riviera, and Greece must no doubt at one time have supported a scrub vegetation. At present, it is difficult to tell what this was. There is a sort of scrub called maki, which covers parts especially of Corsica and other Mediterranean countries. In Greece, also, thorny, woody little bushes are very common. But these are just what the goats, who are fiends from a vegetable point of view, have been unable to destroy. We cannot tell what sort of country revealed itself to the first Phoenicians when they landed in southern Spain, to traffic with the savage inhabitants, or what met the eyes of Ulysses when he made his great voyage to unknown lands. But there are places in the world where man has never either kept domestic animals or cultivated the soil, possibly Spain and Sicily in those early days, were not unlike parts of British East Africa, such as the Taru Desert, between Mombasa and Kibwezi. The following may give an idea of how this scrub or desert appeared to me. Gnarled and twisted acacias of all sorts and sizes, usually with bright white bark and a thin naked appearance, cover the whole country, Amongst these, one finds the curious trees of euphorbia. In Britain, euphorbias are little green, uninteresting weeds, but here some of them are twenty to thirty feet high, with many slender whip-like branches, but no leaves. Others are exactly like cactus, and take on weird candelabra-like shapes. Nobody meddles with them for... If the slightest cut is made in the bark, out pours an acrid white milk which raises painful blisters and may even cause blindness if a drop touches the eyes. Almost all the plants are either covered with thorns or protected by resins, gums, or poisonous secretions. Between the scrubby trees, the soil is dotted over by little tufts of grass or sedge, but these are so far apart that the tint of the landscape is that of the soil. Game is abundant everywhere. Sometimes it is a small bustard, or a persistent, raucous guinea-fowl that affords a chance for a good dinner. Occasionally a tiny gazelle, the Pa, with large ears, springs out of the thorns and vanishes down the path. I saw footprints of giraffes and came across ostriches more than once. I also made a persevering attempt to slay a Clark's gazelle, an animal with enormous ears and a long, thin neck. These long-necked creatures can see far above the usual short, thorny bush, and it is exceedingly difficult to get near them. Water probably exists under the stony grit soil, but at present, one has to be contented with that found in the stagnant pools at Taru, Mongu, etc., which, if not occupied by the decaying remains of a dead antelope, are, as a rule, drinkable. These acacias are quite well fitted to live in this dry and arid region. Their roots go down to twenty feet or more, so as to reach the deep-seated water supplies. Their leaves are generally adapted to resist any injury from the strong glare of the sunshine. The gums already alluded to are also very important, for any crack or break in the tree is promptly gummed up, and there is no loss of precious water thereby. This gum will also prevent or discourage burrowing and boring insects from getting in. They would, if they tried to do so, become flies in amber, like those found in fossil resin. The trees are generally provided with strong spines, which guard them from the many grazing animals which try to devour the succulent leaflets. The fight between the grazing animal and the plant is, in these scrubs and half-deserts, very severe. In Egypt it is said that the whole flora has been entirely altered by the camel and the donkey but in this case the battle is unfair. Man keeps those camels, donkeys, and goats. He provides them with water and protects them from lions, leopards, and snakes. In East Africa, man has not yet interfered, and the plants probably get the better of the animals. In such places, lions, leopards, and hyenas are common. It will be remembered that a lion not very long ago stormed and took charge of a railway station on the line to Uganda and was only routed with very heavy loss. There is also some reason to suppose that the antelopes and other creatures do help the plants in their efforts to colonize the Sahara. Their droppings will very greatly improve the soil, and more vigorous thickets and undergrowth will spring up when the soil is improved in this way. Such a vigorous growth of plants will be better able to resist the long eight or nine months' drought, and so help the wood to develop until perhaps it is too thick and the trees are too high for the antelopes to graze upon them. In this manner, the acacia scrub is slowly and painfully colonizing the desert. It is not only in Africa that one finds these half-deserts or scrub there is the Brigolo scrub in Australia, which has a curious silver-gray shimmering appearance on account of the blue-gray, sickle-like leaves of the brigalow acacia. The foliage casts no shade, for the leaves are flat and thin and place themselves edgewise to the light, so that there is no danger of the strong light injuring them. Also in Australia is the mallee scrub, covering thousands of square miles between the Murray River and the coast. It consists of bushy eucalyptus, six to twelve feet high. Its monotonous appearance, when seen from a small hill, is very striking. Quote, Below lies an endless sea of yellow-brown bushes. Perhaps far away one may observe the blue outline of some solitary hill or granite peak, but otherwise... Nothing breaks the monotonous dark brown horizon. Everything is silent and motionless, save perhaps where the scrub hen utters its complaining cry, or when the wind rustles the stiff eucalyptus twigs. End quote. There is a melancholy interest attaching to both the Mallee and Brigolo, for in them lie the bones of many gallant and persevering explorers. Nor is the East African Thorn Tree Desert without its victims. The missionary, Dr. Chalmers, was lost near Kibwezi, in the Taru Desert. There are a certain number of valuable plants found in these half-deserts or scrubs. Perhaps the earliest geographical expedition of which we have a good account, with illustrations, is that sent by the Egyptian queen Hattasu, from Thebes about 3,000 years ago. She built on the Red Sea a fleet of five ships, each able to carry from 50 to 70 people, and sent them to the land of Punt, which was probably Somaliland. The natives lived in round huts built on piles like the ancient lake dwellings. The object of the journey was to obtain incense. No less than thirty-one incense bushes were dug up with as much earth as possible about their roots and carried to the ships, where they were placed upright on the deck and covered with an awning to keep off the sun's rays. Whether they did really survive the journey and grow in Egypt is uncertain. Sacks of resin, ebony, cassia, apes, baboons, dogs, Leopard-skins and slaves, as well as gold and silver, were also taken away. The queen of Punt accompanied them. From her appearance, it is not probable that the queen of Sheba was any relation, although some writers have supposed that Sheba and Punt were the same place. The whole story is represented in colored base reliefs in the temple at Tel el bahiri near Thebes. The incense here alluded to was a very valuable drug in Egypt on account of its use in embalming mummies. Quite a number of gums, resins and the like are obtained from Somaliland and similar half-desert countries. The frankincense of the Bible, which may be the incense of Hattasu, is obtained from olibanum, produced by various species of Boswellia. In February and March, Cuts are made by the incense-gatherers in the bark of the trees. Tears of resin soon appear and become dried by the sun over the wound. The best kinds still come from Saba in Arabia, where the Romans obtained it in the time of Virgil. Besides olibanum, frankincense contains galbanum, ferula galbaniflua, and storax, storax officinale. Equal parts of these were mixed with the horny shield of a certain shellfish. When the last is burnt, it has a strong, pungent odor. The galbanum is now found in Persia, and Storax in Asia Minor, both half-desert countries. The true mir, Comifora myrrha, is also found in East Africa and Southwest Arabia. The name is supposed to be derived from mirha the daughter of Cynerus, king of Cyprus, who, in consequence of a great crime, was banished to Arabia and became the tree which bears her name. The mirror of the sacred oracles was used as incense at least 3,700 years ago and is mentioned by Moses. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-five. The sovereign of England used always to present gold frankincense and myrrh, in the Chapel Royal, London, on the Feast of the Epiphany. And, strange though it may appear, the symbolic offering is still made each year by our present king. Balm of Gilead, Balsamodendron gileadens, belongs to scrub or half-desert regions. Cleopatra obtained plants from Jericho for her garden at Heliopolis. The Jews used to sell it regularly to the merchants of Tyre. It is still valuable, for the essence is worth from two to three pounds per pound. The opoponax described by Dioscorides belongs to the Orient. It yields a valuable gum resin, which is much used in perfumery, Pastinaca opoponax. It also is obtained by incisions in the bark of the tree. In fact, a very large proportion of these fragrant, sweet-smelling substances, myrrh, cassia, bdellium, etc., come from these sunny eastern lands, which are not exactly deserts, but very close to them. Manna, for example, is obtained from the flowering ash, Fraxinus ormus, in Sicily, by transverse incisions being made in the bark, so that the brownish or yellowish viscid juice exudes and hardens on the wound. Ladanum is a varnish or gluey coating found on the leaves of Cistus creticus, which grows in Crete. In old times, the glue was collected from the beards of the goats, which had been browsing on the plant. Although this method no doubt increased the strength of the perfume, it has been abandoned and the ladanum is obtained by a kind of rake with a double row of long leathern straps the straps take the glue from the leaves it is used as a perfume in turkey another very interesting eastern plant sometimes seen in old-fashioned country gardens in britain is the burning bush dictamnus fraxinella like a great many of these half-desert plants It is full of an acrid, ethereal, odorous substance. On a calm, hot summer's day, this material exudes from the leaves and surrounds the plant with an invisible, vaporous atmosphere. Such an atmosphere probably assists in preventing the water from evaporating or being transpired from the leaves. Now, if one places a lighted match a little below the leaves or flowers, This vapor catches fire, and there is a display of flames and smoke with little explosions, followed by a strong smell. The plant may be injured if it is set on fire too frequently, but generally does not seem to be any the worse for the experiment. The Mediterranean is the home of the myrtle and olive, of oranges and lemons, of figs and vines, of almonds and raisins as well as of many other important and interesting plants. The olive crop in Italy yields about 90 millions of gallons of olive oil every year. The olives are collected as soon as they become ripe and are crushed in circular stone troughs with a perpendicular millstone. The paste is then pressed in bags and afterwards clarified by passing through cotton wool. To the eye of a foreigner, the white gnarled stems and silver-green foliage of the olive groves are not particularly attractive. Near Buriana, in Spain, one may walk for miles through the plantations of oranges. The dark green glossy leaves and golden fruit of the orange make a most beautiful contrast, but the dry, thirsty soil and the careful way in which the water is regulated and supplied by small gutters most jealously watched over make the tourists realize the difficulty of agriculture in so dry and arid a country. The myrtle is not a very important plant nowadays though its berries are still eaten and myrtle wreaths used to be worn by the bride at every wedding. In classical times it was sacred to Venus but the victors in the Olympian games were also crowned with myrtle, and the magistrates at Athens had the same privilege. It is no longer used as a medicine and for making wine. It is really a native of Persia, but has been introduced to the Levant, Italy, France and Spain. It is along the Riviera that one finds a very curious and interesting industry. This is the manufacture of perfumes and essences from the petals of flowers. A great many different flowers are used, such as the Garden Violet, Mignonette, a native of Egypt imported in 1752, Lily of the Valley, Tube Rose, the sweetest flower for scent that grows, Jonquil, Narcissus jonquilla, Heliotrope, imported from Peru in 1757, Spanish jasmine, J. Grandiflorum, which is a native of Nepal, and was brought to Europe in 1629, and various roses. These roses have had a long, interesting, and honorable history. No one knows when they were first cultivated. Solomon had his rose gardens at Jericho, Queen Cleopatra spent some 400 pounds on roses in one day and Nero is said to have beaten this record by wasting four million sesterces, 30,000 pounds in roses, for a single banquet. Rosewater is said to have been first produced by an Arab physician called Razes in the 10th century. When Sultan Saladin recovered Jerusalem from the crusaders in 1187, the pavement and walls of the Mosque of Omar were washed and purified with rose water. That stout warrior Thibault the fourth, Count de Brie et de Champagne, brought back roses from Damascus on his return to his native land. That was the origin of the valuable Provence roses the lancastrians chose a provence rose as their badge at the beginning of the civil wars of the roses in england otto of roses or the essential oil was discovered by princess noor jehan at the court of the great mogul and she received as her reward a pearl necklace worth thirty thousand rupees the price of otto of roses seems to have been about 320 pounds per pound in Persia and India, when the traveler Tavernier visited those countries in 1616. In the 15th and 16th centuries, peers of France had to present bouquets and crowns of roses to the assembled parliament. At present, there are very important rose plantations in France, Bulgaria, and in the Fayoum in Egypt. In France, about ten or twelve thousand roses are grown on two and a half acres. The season is from April to May. Women gather from twenty to twenty five pounds daily and obtain from twopence to threepence for two and a half pounds. Each tree will give about a quarter of a pound of roses. The petals are distilled to make rose water. Some 12,000 people on the slopes of the Balkans at Kurzanlik and other places entirely depend upon their rose plantations. These are on light soil, fully exposed to the sun at over 1,200 feet above the sea. It is interesting to find that the pure mountain air strengthens the perfume, for these Balkan roses are 50% richer in essences than those of lowland plants. Another interesting plant much cultivated in the Riviera is the Cassier, Acacia farnesiana. It is really a native of India, but was introduced from the West Indies to Europe in 1656. Cannes, Grasse, Antibes, and Nice are the places where it is most cultivated. Its flowers appear from July to November. An old tree may yield as much as twelve to twenty pounds of flowers worth about five to six francs. But one hundred sixteen pounds of flowers only yield about a pound of essence, so that it is not surprising that this last is worth sixty pounds the pound. The cultivation is a little uncertain, for a temperature of three or four degrees below the freezing point kills the trees. The pomades made from many of these flowers are produced as follows. A series of trays are covered with fat or grease. The petals are placed on the grease and replaced by fresh petals every 24 hours or so. In the end, the grease is so saturated with scent that it forms pomade or pomatum. Thus, these half-desert countries are by no means without interest from a botanical point of view. The conditions of life are no doubt hard, both for plants and animals. The scent, so richly produced, depends upon the strong sunlight and pure air. It is very useful, partly because it attracts those useful insects which carry the pollen, but also because such odors are distasteful to grazing animals. The gums, incenses, thorns, and spines are all of great use to the plant in its dangerous struggle for existence with hungry camels and thirsty soil. When men understood how to irrigate the soil, and before they were foolish enough to cut down the forests which once guarded the mountain springs, these half-deserts were exceedingly prosperous. They were full of vigorous intellectual life, and of strong hardy and industrious peoples asia minor turkey greece and the northern coast of africa from morocco to egypt were rich and wonderful countries but it was not only the destruction of the forests that has ruined them the curse of mohammed the fatalism produced by his religion and the slavery which is a necessary part thereof have destroyed the people in mind body, and spirit. Even in Greece, Algiers, and Cyprus, there has been as yet but small recovery. In the future, not merely these countries, but northern Nigeria, British East Africa, and southwest Cape Colony may have as rich a history as Greece if British brain and energy are helped by the strong muscles of the African. End of chapter 8 Recording by Linda Johnson